Autism Through Cinema. Welcome to the Autism Through Cinema podcast, investigating autistic presence and expression on screen. This podcast is brought to you by the Autism Through Cinema project based at Queen Mary, University of London and funded by the Wellcome Trust. For more on the project, please visit our website, autism-through-cinema.org.uk and follow us on Twitter at at Autism Cinema. If you're a fan of this podcast, please do spread the word leave us a review, or share our episodes on social media. We always love to hear from you. This will be our final episode for the podcast in its current guise. Our wider project, which is also called Autism Through Cinema, came to an end on August the 31st, 2023. So this podcast also comes to an end at this point. However, all may not necessarily be lost, as we are currently in talks with the media network to see if we can continue in some form or other. So please do remain subscribed as we may yet find ourselves revived. In the meantime, we very much hope you have enjoyed the 50 episodes that we've released, which will remain available for the foreseeable future. A huge thanks from everyone on the team for all of your listens, downloads, streams, responses and reactions. Particular thanks also to all of our amazing special guests who took time out of their busy schedules to come and talk with us. Many thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy this final reflective discussion. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Autism Through Cinema podcast for our very special 50th episode, which is also, for now, our final episode. I say for now because there is a possibility that we may find a way of resurrecting this podcast in the future. Um, We've been talking a little bit about that behind the scenes. But the wider project that this podcast has been part of, which is also called Autism Through Cinema, is uh, kind of winding its way down uh, to a conclusion. So this podcast and its current appearance is also coming to a bit of a conclusion with today's episode. And it just so happens that this is our 50th episode. So we thought we would use this milestone to reflect back on the previous 49 episodes uh, and talk a little bit about the journey that we've been on over the past couple of years in our quest to investigate autistic presence and expression on screen. Um, I think it's fair to say that we've all absolutely loved doing this podcast and we have been uh, consistently surprised and delighted and intrigued by the conversations that we've had. And we've also made really good friends with each other, which is also a a happy bonus. So we're all here today, uh, all the regular hosts, and we've each selected uh, one episode from our back catalogue that we've revisited. And we've each prepared a sort of five, roughly five minute reflective statement on those episodes. And then once we're all done with that, we'll just kind of open up the floor and chat about things until uh, until we reach the end of the time. But first of all, before we do that, let me just quickly introduce everybody again. So we have in the house, we have our resident horror film fan, PhD student at the University of Southampton, recent alumni of University Challenge and soon to be Dr. Ethan Lyon. Hello, Ethan. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. All the better for hearing your voice. No, you flatterer. We also have the wonderful uh, writer, film critic, journalist extraordinaire, and the always elegant and thrilling Lillian Crawford. 
Hello, Lillian. How are you? <laughs> well, Ethan said flattery. Um, yes. Thank you. That's very sweet of you. That's all right. Delighted to be here as always. Great. Thank you very much. Next up, uh, one of our most long-standing hosts, who in the non-too-distant non future is destined to become a superstar film director, your favourite David Lynch superfan, it's Georgia Bradburn. Hello, Georgia. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great, thanks. That's Yeah, that's what a compliment, David. Thank you. Well, I'm sure it'll all come to pass. And we've also got our Project PhD con candidate, who is barnstorming the world of animated documentary with his multi-award winning short film, Drawing on Autism. It's the perpetually wise and wonderful Alex Widdowson. Hello, Alex. Hi, hi David. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm deeply embarrassing all of you, aren't I, with all this? Well, you're just sucking up, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, the woman who makes all this happen and more, the towering intellect that is the ATC, the Autism Through Cinema project lead, Professor Janet Harbord. Hi, Janet. How are you doing? Hi, David. Yeah, really enjoying your... Um... Your smooth talk this morning. Wow! <laughs> Thought I'd pull out the pull out all the put out all the stops for uh, for the last. Is there, so, is there something bad that you've not? No, told this is all positive. It's all positivity. Good. It's all good stuff. Okay. Okay. And then finally, there's also there's me, of course. Uh, me, Doctor David Hartley. I write short stories and other things, and I'm just very happy to be here. Hello, everybody. Um. Okay. So that's my um, that's me embarrassing everybody. Uh. So we'll carry on properly with the episode now. Um, so we're each, we've each got our, uh, our own little sort of prepared statements about individual uh, episodes. We're going to go in order of how those episodes were originally uh, released. Um, so we're going to be starting with uh, Georgia. So Georgia, whenever you're ready, please do uh, take it away. Thank you, David. Um, yeah, I so I went for, um, I think it wasn't the first... Um, podcast that we actually recorded but it was the first one that we um, released uh, and I did this for a number of reasons first of all just because I thought it would be a nice thing to reflect on kind of the first thing that we that we made and and so to sort of measure that progress and also just because this was a film that I I, I brought to the group and um, you know a lot of us had already seen it but I I personally said when I I think when, during the pandemic when I was just going through a lot of films just to kind of deal with a lot of the stuff that was going on this is one that I saw and I just remember thinking this is something that has represented autism in a way that I haven't really seen in a lot of films and I thought it would be interesting to discuss so this is um, I'm talking about Punch Drunk Love uh, so a lot of the time on the podcast we talk about a lot of different facets and like a lot of aspects of, of how we talk about autism in film um, there's the idea of how autism, a, feel, a film can feel autistic, how um, the idea of uh, being autistic comes through in the formal aspects of the film. Um, and then also through the more like traditional way of looking at it in terms of character. Um, and so one of the threads that we pick up fairly quickly uh, in this podcast episode is the idea of um, diagnosing characters. Um, so Adam Sandler's character in the film um is quite a socially awkward, um, kind of struggling in life, has a lot of kind of anger issues, that kind of thing, struggles to uh, interact with people. Um, and a lot of publications, a lot of uh, things like that have 
been quick to define him as like as an autistic or a neurodivergent character, which isn't something I disagree with. And I don't, it's not something that we disagreed with on the podcast. There is something there. But it brings up this issue that we talked about of, is it okay if a character isn't defined as neurodivergent or autistic for us to put that label onto them? Um, and I think it's, it's really interesting because we also... Um, I think it, David on the podcast brought up the idea of other characters in the film also potentially being um, neurodivergent. And so looking at how this film potentially uses the genre of a rom-com to sort of introduce the idea of neurodivergent people or um, autistic people kind of finding each other and reinventing that the, the framework of the rom-com um, in a way in a way that reflects that experience. Yeah, I had it was quite an enjoyable experience listening back to it. I think it resonates with me um, as a film personally, just because, as I'd said before, it, I watched it at quite a difficult time for me. And then seeing a lot of my internal experiences of the world reflected formally um is quite is quite significant there are moments in the film where the combination of like the soundtrack which is quite um off-putting I remember the podcast Alex saying that your partner found it really difficult to watch the film because of the soundtrack um it's very uh anxiety inducing as is kind of the rest of the film but the combination of the soundtrack and of like the the sort of off-putting events that happen in the film, you feel sort of bad for what's happening to Barry when he's being scammed by this fake mattress company, um, his sister's bullying him, and then the ordeal with Lena, who the, who's the woman that he's um, who has, he has the romance with. Um, and then there's this, this scene where everything is just going wrong in this warehouse and he's having all of these um, bad interactions in this office and it just feels like everything is just crashing down. And it's this sort of cacophony of events and the combination of the really high contrast visuals with the sound that just makes it feel like you yourself are having kind of a meltdown. And that's something that I watched and felt that I resonated with. And we discussed that in the podcast. And, you know, it's it's good to get those sort of ideas out of my system. And I remember recording it and feeling... Like, this is, you know, a really good space to discuss how film has the capability of of reflecting that experience that we have. Um, bit of a jumbled, but um, a bit of a jumbled summary of that episode. But overall, um, I look back at it quite fondly because, it's again, it's one of the first ones that we did. Um, it's a film that is quite special for me. And, um, yeah, I hope that people also enjoyed uh, listening to that episode. Thanks, Georgia. Yeah, no, I think that's super useful as a way of like uh, seeing, yeah, where we sort of began with our discussions, I suppose, for the podcast and already starting to think about the diagnosing of on-screen characters, but also um, the depictions of things like meltdowns and so on and so forth. So, yeah, that's really useful. Thank you very much, Georgia. Okay, we'll um, we'll park that for now and we will move on to uh, Ethan, who will be next. Uh, so, Ethan, take it away when you're ready. Continuing the theme of beginnings, I suppose, I have chosen the very first episode that I was on the podcast for. Now, I, shouldn't, I should say that this, I don't think, is the best episode I was a part of, 
but it's the most important for a number of reasons, uh, not least because uh, this was my introduction to the world of ATC, and I've had a long, long association with it ever since. So um, it is, of course, my episode on cat people, which I appeared on, I think, as maybe episode six or seven as the first of the special guests, which was a very, very uh, humbling honour to have. I believe my opportunity to come on the show uh, came about uh, thanks to the fact that I was a former student of Queen Mary, and uh, I was in touch with a few members of the uh, department, including Janet, and I was aware that such a project was taking place in relation to uh, autism and cinema, uh, and that was timing very nicely with my thesis work. At, um, this was during the pandemic, so I was sort of still working uh, a little bit from home on my, uh, on my work. And having made the necessary introductions, I then um, asked if I could be on the podcast. Uh, Janet agreed, and I just sort of went from there, really. Listening to it back was a very unpleasant experience, not because it's a bad discussion. Actually, I think it's a very, very good discussion uh, for reasons I'll get into a bit, but because it was, I think, only the second podcast I'd ever done. Uh, I think I'd done an episode of a podcast, I believe, with Lillian, actually, uh, earlier in the year. But uh, I was still very, very new. So listening to myself on the old headphones, which were a terrible cheap pair of £10 things, which rustled and crackled whenever I moved, uh, was incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, and I did not like sort of the the, the hesitancy, and sort of the, the, the nervousness that you can very clearly tell in my voice of somebody who knows his subject but has never been in this situation before because it was my my very first time meeting everybody. Uh, it was my first time meeting David and, uh, Al and Alex and Georgia and sort of trying to work out how to position myself within that sort of milieu. I do think, however, as the uh, conversation goes on, it becomes it really stands up. And I think, as I was saying in the podcast, uh, watching Cat People did make my thesis idea stand up. And the, the arguments I make in the podcast and the discussions we have still stand up, I think they're still really good ideas about this film, which ostensibly is about a woman who turns into a cat whenever she's sexually aroused. Uh, it works very well as a sort of a discussion of autism. And there was a case of we were still talking about diagnosing characters in some respects, uh, applying sort of understandings of neurodiversity to specific characters, in this case, Raina, the lead. But it's at the same time we're moving towards sort of discussions of thematics or discussions of sensation, uh, which has, I think, defined more of our later episodes and has sort of... It, it shows at least one part of the shift towards sort of the model that we're doing now, uh, which is... Uh, a series of really exceptional and really, really fascinating episodes that I've had a real uh, privilege to be a part of. After this episode, uh, there was, um, I think, a few weeks of sort of pause. Uh, everyone really liked the episode. Everyone was very happy with it, which I was very pleased about. 
Uh, and then I was invited back to do uh, a reflections on the Barbican series, which we were doing at the time. Well, uh, well, the ATC was doing at the time. I really wasn't affiliated with it. Uh, and I did that with uh, Georgia and David. Uh, and then it just sort of turned into, well, would you like to come on in a more uh, permanent basis? Which was very surprising to me at the time. I, I think one of the reoccurring things, uh, and I think everyone in the podcast will know this, but people outside won't know this, is I've been constantly surprised when anything sort of like very uh, nice has come my way in relation to the podcast. So, um, you know, I, I never expected it to be as uh, as big as it's got. I never expected to be pretty much a, 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 a reoccurring host. I never expected to get the uh, opportunities I've had from it. And I've had a number of wonderful opportunities, including speaking at the BFI. So I've been, in, so I have been eternally grateful to ATC, not just because of the opportunities it's given me, which I've outlined, but also for the fact that I've met some really wonderful people who I uh, feel very, very connected to and very close to. And also it's been an opportunity to, bring a very very dear friend into the fold as well but that's something i think that said friend can discuss later but yeah uh the cat people have said if you do want to listen to it uh i can only apologize for the for the quality of my microphone but it's one that will always have a very special place in my heart thank you ethan oh it's really lovely to hear actually and it's quite interesting to hear you reflect on on your own on your own feelings of nervousness from that first episode and and how that then kind of evolved and developed into what we have now um so that's really really useful and and of course we were always very glad to invite you back we were very impressed when you came on that on that cat people episode so um yeah really interesting um great thank you very much ethan um next up on our list we have uh janet so janet whenever you're ready uh, i'm ready um hi yes the episode i've chosen is orlando uh, by Sally Potter from 1992. And we discussed this uh, two years ago, uh, and it was released in August 2021. Um, and for me, this this episode did a couple of things, really. It it made me understand that, um, that the podcast had kind of gelled into something where we were able to think together. And, and it was incredibly exciting for me that that we could do that, that we all had different positions in this discussion. And, you know, pe people begin to take up roles within the discussions. Um, but this discussion of Orlando is kind of like a swarm where we I experience it like that, where we all kind of move in the same direction, but in our different positions. And it. It really um, was a discussion that that seemed to have a lot of openness to it. We moved through discussions of class, race, gender, transgender, sexuality, and so forth. Um, so the pitch of the film, which came from from Georgia, it was Georgia's suggestion um, in terms of it being uh, an autistic, a film that would lend itself to an autistic reading, was that it um, it was a film that that focused on the um, the artificial and the, the camp um, in a film that was about the life of one person who changes gender um, but is always young. And uh, the film takes place over the course of about 500 years based on Virginia Woolf's modernist novel. And this idea of, of a film being, being focused on artifice is, um, is kind of framed by 
Tilda Swinton's character, Orlando, who addresses the camera um, and comments on the worlds through which she, he, they are traveling in this in, in this film. And so we had discussions of, of how the, the, the film kind of set these supposedly typical, neurotypical worlds um, in a different light in terms of showing us how bizarre, ridiculous, um, and sometimes cruel uh, they could be. So for me, it sort of it, it has a relationship to a few of the other episodes in in the podcast, like True Stories, when there, again there was a sort of autistic character who's narrating the world, who repositions it for us, and allows us to kind of access the film through through their view. It was also an episode where we had. Um, well, different different forms of specialist knowledge came in. There were there's David's amazing interpretation and, and historical knowledge about the neuroqueer. And that really consolidated something for me about how autism and queerness historically go together. Um, about how they've been subjected to the same questioning through medical and clinical frameworks and also um subject to conversion therapies so that that comes into our discussion also links to jarman and history and we had john james on this episode who um made some fabulous contributions um georgia talking about script and sally potter's take and alex um as ever keeping it real with his position on what's what's autistic about this film i'm not really getting it so it kind of everyone played their part in that. And I think it's a pretty fantastic episode in that it delivers a, a kind of a, a discussion that anyone could get hold of. But it also has this clutch of references to academic work if you wanted to follow that up. So it sort of has it does that thing that the podcast, um, I think, has been really successful in, which is drawing on specialised knowledge, but doing it in a way that is is um, really listenable. The, the last thing I want to say about it, really, is that there, there was a line that Georgia read from Sally Potter in this, which was that the film, when she was writing the film, Potter said that, that she understood it to be about impairment. And that has stayed with me. And I've never quite got to the bottom of what I think that is in the film and whether Potter meant that she was writing about kind of the, the, the typical world of heterosexuality, of, of courtly life with its power and hierarchy, um, of fashion that impedes movement in these great long curly, curly toed shoes, um, those sorts of things. Is was that the impairment? Is is that where um she was going with that comment? So it's also given me something that that isn't exhausted in terms of the interpretation of the film. Thanks, Janet. That's great. Um it sort of sounds like that was that was kind of the period when we were really finding our feet with this with this podcast, where you know we were all contributing in our in our ways and but also sort of I like that idea of us all sort of moving as a swarm together, but with our different um opinions. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, all right, next up it is uh, Alex. Alex, whenever you're ready. Yeah, so I selected the 13th episode we released, um, and that was Asylum 1972, directed by Peter Robinson. This uh, was not our typical selection in that firstly it was a documentary, and secondly it was sort of quite clearly had no references to autistic ways of being or presence in the surface of the film content. Um, but... I guess I had a very personal reason for selecting it, which was that the film's content was about supported 
well, therapeutic communities set up by the Philadelphia Association in London, uh, starting in the uh, sort of early 60s and going on into the present day. And um, I'd been working with the Philadelphia Association uh, in various capacities, and this is the sort of radical psychiatry organization set up uh, by David Cooper and R.D. Lang. The reason it's a very personal choice is because I, I sort of chose this episode as an opportunity to out myself as um, someone with lived experience of psychosis. And I, I didn't quite, I, I was a bit disappointed. I didn't actually quite mention uh, schizoaffectivity um, in the episode. And I thought I had actually, but um, yeah, I think uh, it came at a time in my life when I'd, you know, I felt a lot of freedom on my masters um, and then went into industry for a year or so and just felt suddenly quite self-policed as if I was being, it would be a dangerous thing for me to speak openly about my neurodivergence. And um, yeah, this was quite an early experience within my sort of uh, role in the Autism Through Cinema project, where I took the opportunity to speak publicly about my experiences, which is quite significant for me and has become a stronger part of my own research on the project. Yeah, but I mean, uh, the the other sort of major theme within the episode is I seem to be this propagandist for the Philadelphia Association. Um, and I, I do have very fond feelings uh, about that organization, but uh, I was quite struck by how much I was trying to convince it, convince everybody. Um, yeah, but I mean, the, the, the sort of themes of the film where we, we get an introduction from Lang, who's this iconic somewhat cult-like figure within the anti-psychiatry movement, particularly in the Anglophone world. And uh, we are with Peter Robinson and his crew or behind, there behind the camera as they live in this sort of radical therapeutic community for six weeks. Um, and this is an organization where they work as hard as they can for the trained psychiatrists and the residents to exist as equals in a living environment. It's not necessarily anti-psychiatry in the sense that um, there's a ban on medication or, or they, 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 I mean, they are kind of throwing bombs from the outside into the psychiatric world, which has changed really in the legacy of anti-psychiatry. Critical psychiatry is really much more done from the inside these days. But it was very much, um, I, had, I think I had a lot of um, existentialist roots uh, around the idea of personal freedom and the responsibility that comes with that. So I think one of the most interesting discussions within the episode was um, one of the mem uh, members of the house uh, is reported to have committed a, a sort of a violent act. I think he punched someone and they had a group meeting and they had to decide what together, what to do with this uh, housemate, David, um, who is quite a dominant figure throughout the film. And they reflected on uh, we were very interested in our discussion about uh, the sort of personal responsibility, you know, uh, and, and this idea that, um, you know, the, the challenge was put to David that if he is responsible for his actions in this environment, then he must, uh, you know, live with the consequences. But if he doesn't feel like he can be responsible for himself, then that's, it's not the place for him to live. And I was quite struck by the sort of level of respect given to individuals in this uh, organization uh, compared to the experiences I'd had in, in psych 
and psychiatric uh, wards in the UK. Fine. I mean, I was respected, but it was, there was an underlying sort of feeling that the doors needed to be locked and everybody needs to be constantly uh, observed. And um, it, you were, there was notes being taken on you all the time. And, and essentially you weren't trusted. Um, you were, you were watched carefully and maybe quite rightly at the time I was not in my best state of affairs, but, but nonetheless, it was a totally different approach. And obviously the, this has not very much to do with, with, uh, individual experiences of autism, but what I think it does have a strong theme connection to our podcast is the underlying ideological framework, the neurodiversity paradigm. They're subtly different in their legacy um and intentions but i think it's very clear that the sort of patients rights movements uh democratic psychiatry anti-psychiatry critical psychiatry all work their way into some of the themes that we see now in the neurodiversity paradigm particularly the idea of accepting difference and questioning norms um and i think that was a very strong theme within lang's writing and uh, uh, very visible within the dynamics in the household. It is a very personal experience um, talking about that project and introducing sort of my much more sort of psychiatric uh, perspective on our discussions. Um, and it was really great to hear the contributions, particularly from David, who was reflecting on his sister's situation in supported living and those dynamics around... Uh, helping people live the best life they can with the support they need in environments that are nourishing and fulfilling and uh, supportive. Um, it was a really great experience going back to it. I'm, I was quite aware of how early it was in our, in our podcast history and how much better we've got at it as well since then, <laughs> which is uh, the most positive spin I can put on my ums and ahs and, and uh, <laughs> vocal inflections. But uh, still, yeah, it was a, uh, it was quite a pleasure to go back and reflect on the project. So thank you. Lovely. Yeah, we have smoothed out the edges, I think, a little bit uh, as we've gone along. But that that's happened naturally. Yeah, that's really useful. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, and uh, I agree that like there has been uh, multiple special moments within some of these recordings where we're, we've been able to talk about our personal uh, histories or personal experiences or family experiences, I suppose, in my case, um, in, a, in, in a situation which is kind of really safe and kind of... Um, supportive so i think that's certainly one of the really useful elements of, of this podcast so thank you for reflecting on that um and now we move to uh lillian so lillian uh whenever you're ready please take it away yes um it's really lovely listening to all of you talk about your episodes and it's quite nice and fitting that i should um go at this point because i joined the project much later than everyone else um which uh, was a great honour and something that was very surprising to me because I hadn't really thought about um, myself in relation to autism a lot at that point in my life. Um, it was something that I had sort of always had with me, but never really interrogated or investigated in any way. And it was only really through talking with Ethan um, and his his PhD thesis and, and talking about the potential for the relationship between autism and cinema that I really started to think about it. Um, and Ethan recommended um, me to, to you to, to come on board and, and talk about a film that I wanted to talk about, which was, which was Amelie. Um, I had a little 
thought uh, about which film I would choose. I also considered doing Somewhere's Anderson, which we've thankfully gone on to do um, in our episode on Moonrise Kingdom, which was a very important discussion for me as well. And it was sort of choosing between those two episodes, really, which are perhaps the the most significant for me in terms of the episodes that we, we've made together. But it was also a nice thing to be able to go back to that first episode when I didn't really have so much of a consciousness or a sense of what an autistic identity might mean at that point. Um, so I'd listened to the podcast, I'd listened to all of the episodes that you've been talking about, um, and really developing an awareness of, of how these discussions worked and how that how they could work and what potential that was, I suppose, in that first episode that I was doing, it was about finding the right use of language and framework. And it's something that we continue to grapple with. And I think for that, to me, is the most exciting part of this podcast and this project is that we are always developing our own grammar and our own way of expressing, um, which which has sort of carried us through to the point that we're at now. And, and was certainly a big theme of the conference that we had um, in January, which which was very illuminating and also gave us a chance to reflect on a lot of the work that we've been doing. So it's good that we can now do this in a podcast form. So more people can hear our, our reflections. Um, I remember at the time I had seen Amelie the musical fairly recently. Um, so I had this in my head a lot. And it was only really watching the musical version on stage at the Criterion Theatre in London that I had developed a consciousness of Amelie as a film which might be not about autism, but but having an autistic resonance. And I actually almost wonder listening back to this episode, if at the point I was trying to almost express that there was something more autistic about the stage musical than there was actually about the film itself. Um, and I, I mentioned parts of that and some of the differences, because I think that the the actress who was playing her on stage perhaps communicated this more strongly than Audrey Tattoo does in, in the film itself. Um, but I was I was going through quite a difficult time in my life. Um, I was still very much struggling um, with the symptoms and effects of, of complex PTSD at that point, which um, is less the case now, um, two years later. And I had been using the Amelie soundtrack, both the film soundtrack and the musical soundtrack as a sort of comfort listen a lot um, in my life. And it was very strange listening to this person who had been having some difficulty and it was also during during uh lockdown being very nervous and using a lot of fillers at the start and i just didn't really know what my place was and then listening to this hour and a bit discussion of myself sort of developing ideas and it just felt very organic in a way that i hadn't perhaps gained a sense of while recording it um in the way that i can reflect on it now um it's very strange experience listening to oneself, which we've all expressed, I think, is that it's it's a very, it's not something I normally do. I don't listen back to the episodes. It's not something that I enjoy doing or or want to do necessarily. Um, so I, I did consider choosing to discuss one of the episodes that um, I hadn't featured on because I don't like listening to myself talking. Um, but it was it was valuable and it was interesting to reflect on that time in my life and in the world in general, and where we've where we've developed since then. Um, and Amelie is still a very special film. It's beautiful, and I've watched it several times since, and I, every time I watch it, I think of more things that I'd want to discuss, and 
from the podcast in general that we've um we've developed and the frameworks that we've developed of, of talking about cinema but amelie is a film that is is worth revisiting in that respect so i think it was also very important to choose a film which was very specifically female in its um in 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 its framing of autism because it wasn't something that i'd i'd ever discussed or, or conceived of and i started reading a lot around this and ethan um suggested some books for me to read as well that that helped to make sense of why certain diagnostic forces in my childhood had had sort of conflicted against me in terms of sort of how we categorize um feminine interest versus masculine interest with, within autistic diagnosis and i think that that was a very useful part of that discussion um yes i think it, i think it's a good thing that we've all chosen episodes that were sort of at that point in the podcast's history um that that's that's been very useful for me to reflect and to see where we are now um and i i think it's certainly been one of growth but also that there were very much sort of strong ideas coming out at that point as well thanks lillian yeah again really really lovely to hear your own sort of personal reflection on that and i think it's it was so important for us from the from the early days to sort of bring in uh special guests and new voices con- you know kind of regularly throughout the the development of the podcast and yours you were certainly one of those when you when you came in for that first Emily episode and subsequently became a, a regular. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it's just it's it's really interesting to hear that because it, it really enriches and enhanced our, our podcast as it developed to have new fresh voices on, and and so it's so lovely to be able to sort of nurture that in, into existence, I suppose. And it really useful, uh, really helpful to sort of pick up on on how we are trying to find the right use of language and use of grammar as well as we go along, which I think is something I'd like to come back to in a bit. Um, okay, thank you. All right, so it's just me left then. So I've written a little uh, statement out, so I'll read this. So I'm going to talk about the uh, 17th episode that we released, um, uh, which featured as its guest uh, Ash Lloyden. So Ash is a uh, one of the, the, again, another special guest that we've had on podcast. Ash is an autistic il- illustrator who's based in Glasgow, um, and his artwork is often kind of about film and cinema, particularly cult cinema and horror films and sci-fi films and so on. Uh, so we reached out to Ash and invited him on the podcast, and I was kind of expecting him to, uh, having looked at his art, I was expecting him to bring along some sort of gory horror film or some gritty cult sci-fi film. Um, but instead, he kind of surprised us all, really, by bringing along Disney Pixar's uh, 2006 um mega hit uh cars directed by john lasseter um so we all had to watch cars which was quite entertaining um it became quite clear quite quickly in the discussion that the main reason really that ash brought along cars is because he just absolutely loved the film you know i wholeheartedly adored it and it wasn't just him as well he was talking about he was talking quite often about his daughters as well who i think are also autistic um who really love the film cars and all the way through um ash had a um figurine of one of the characters from Cars just sitting on a shelf behind his shoulder as well, watching over proceedings, which I thought was quite a, a fun uh, visual thing for, for us. So for me, um, this episode and Ash's contribution to it really illuminated the work that we've been doing around um, autistic emotional connection to cinema in this podcast. Uh, Ash's enthusiasm for the film is really infectious in the recording, and you can hear the rest of us who are on that episode we all kind of get drawn into that joy and into those pleasures. 
And I really clearly remember feeling quite, you know, very uplifted after concluding that particular recording. I remember just feeling really happy. Um, I mean, I, I, I kind of, I'm often feel uplifted after we have our conversations on this podcast, but that one in particular um, made me really appreciate that this podcast has become an exercise in sort of opening up these spaces of uh, deep enthusiasm and cinematic joy where uh, autistic emotional engagement and opinion is really taken seriously and kind of treasured, really. I, I always thought when we started this podcast that there was a bit of a danger that maybe it might end up being a bit too dry, a bit too serious, a bit too academic, um, and that we might end up shying away, really, from kind of mainstream cinema in favour of kind of artier films, which we sort of have. But with Cars, Ash really forced us to open the door to the mainstream, um, and experience, really, pretty much firsthand with Ash being so excited during the uh, recording the kind of abundance of emotional connection that films like this can have for autistic people. And in the episode, we talked about the things like the pleasures of collecting memorabilia, uh, but also of uh, kind of collecting information and details and Easter eggs and deep lore in a, in a kind of world, a fantastical world like a film like this creates. He does say at one point that there's no such thing as too much information for autistic enthusiasts who find kind of great pleasure in deep diving for details. Although, interestingly, we do return to this discussion in our recent Doctor Who episode and talk about the kind of darker side of fandom and collecting and memorabilia. Um, so there's a kind of interesting contrast there. Um, but here also, I think in this episode, Ash has a kind of slightly different point. He, he At one point, he uses the phrase, um, the safe overstimulation of cinema. And, and that's always stayed with me since he said that. Um, it's made me really think about how films kind of create this space they sort of create the space of stillness where a typical film viewer is sort of sitting still and is held in place by the action on the screen, but also one which is sort of suffused by the movements of emotions of different kinds so that the cinema becomes that little kind of chamber of emotional engagement. Um, and it's a place really where emotions are not, not kind of not monitored or regulated as such, but kind of are more stimulated and encouraged as feelings rather than things that need to be, constantly analysed. And that made me reflect a lot about, because we talk a lot about autism, a lot in autism studies and neurodiversity studies about the kind of role of emotion in autistic lives and the history of autism and then and in autistic expression. And it's often focused on these kind of restrictive ideas about how to regulate emotion or how to recognise and analyse emotion. Um, and maybe even how to sort of like, quote unquote, properly express emotion to a world that is dominated by the neurotypical. And I always think that this kind of adds up to a pretty impossible and kind of labyrinthine in situation for autistic people who have to contend with this kind of uh, twisting and folding map of, of emotional expression. And so there's this quote uh, from Cars that we pick up on um, towards the end of the episode, and we all actually have slightly different interpretations of the quote, but it's kind of a typical catchy Pixar phrase repeated a few times during the film. And the quote is um, the, the main character, Lightning McQueen, who is this racing car, he says, I create feelings in others that they themselves don't understand. And as I said, there were a lot of interpretations of that phrase, but for me it sort of points to the fact that emotions and feelings are kind of this eternal mystery that we don't really understand um, because they sort of naturally sit in opposition to kind of cold analytical understanding. And so what we have here in this episode is an autistic film fan who's given the opportunity to indulge in his joys around this particular film. And he even towards the end, he sort of slightly rebukes us gently as well at the end for, for, for kind of overanalyzing the film. 
But then also, by the same degree, he encourages us to think as deeply as we like about a cartoon of anthropomorphized cars. And I think that really sort of sums up some of the essence of what we've been trying to do, I think, in this podcast. Um, and it's just always an episode that I've, I, I'm very fond of thinking back on because because um, Ash was such a wonderful host and it was such a, a fun one to, to do. So that's me. And that's all of our um, reflective statements. So we've got a bit of time left to um, to maybe pick up on a few things that we've just been talking about. One of the things, one of the things I wrote down is something that you said, Janet, when you were talking in your statement, which is that um, th- th- this podcast really has been an, a kind of a process of, of thinking together, which I think is a really interesting thing to do. And I think it's something that we don't get much of really of an opportunity to do, especially not in academia where, where things are more to do with writing articles and, 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 and figuring everything out before anybody can have, reads something or hears something whereas here in this podcast i feel like we kind of set ourselves up into this situation where we have a few ideas but then it's like a a live discussion really and it's whatever comes to our heads in that in those moments and i think i just wanted to sort of put that out there and see if anyone's got any other thoughts on that about i guess about podcasting like this as a medium to think together in the moment and and really what's what's the what's been the value of doing that i think it's really interesting that idea of thinking together, because in in specifically a neurodivergent or or rather as as we are a neurodiverse contingent, because it's not something that I get much opportunity to do. is It's very specific in that I almost feel obviously there's an element of masking involved in any discussion or recording. But I almost can kind of feel myself unmask while I'm doing these discussions. And that's when I think that the most um, precise and interesting ideas often come from us is when we just sort of, we get past that initial hesitancy and nervousness, which we all talked about, and suddenly we'll start blowing off and riffing. And the nice thing about recording on Zoom, of course, is that we don't actually have to make eye contact with anyone. So we can just sort of stare off at a fly or <laughs> something on the wall and just talk at it for however long we need to. Um, within reason, of course, we have had some episodes that have gone on much too long. But um, I think that those kinds of discussions and being allowed to talk in that way is very important. I mean, I always think of this in watching Wes Anderson's new film, Asteroid City, and the way that people talk to each other is that people sort of stare off <laughs> at all times and they don't look at each other when they're talking. And that's not a rudeness. That's not something, and it's something that we're all aware of, and we don't, we wouldn't be offended by um, if if that was the case, because sometimes that can actually allow us to get at something that that's very important. Um, and as you say, there's a, it's a collective experience. It's one that we all, we all have. And of course, since all of the episodes we've been discussing, there's been a hell of a lot more episodes and discussions that we've had, mm-hmm. and we've all met each other in person. Um, and I think that all of those experiences has led to those discussions becoming increasingly rich, um, mm. which is why I like the fact that you started off by saying that this might not be the end because it would be a real tragedy if just as we were all sort of hitting our stride together, that that, that was to, to come to an end. Um, but yes, it's interesting to frame that within the academic context that you, you were talking about as well, because we all have... Um, backgrounds in in that area and it it can feel isolating um whereas this feels to me like 
a sense of community and one that I hope that our listeners also participate in. I, I, I don't know um, if anyone wants to talk about that relationship and what it's it's like sort of having these discussions and how we're conceiving of how they're being received. I mean, that, that sense of community that we built over these uh, Zoom discussions uh, just seamlessly slipped into um, the conference and the and the sort of drinks we went to afterwards. I couldn't believe how much uh, of a sort of existing sort of friendship all of us had in this group dynamic, even though lots of us had never been in the room together before. Um, that was wonderful. I, I, I'd like to uh, mention one of my great joys that happened um, during this sort of podcast project, which is when unfortunately I couldn't attend one of the recordings, but the idea was my idea. So um, I stumbled across this uh, meme online, a sort of parody Guardian article about um, the new The Batman film. And uh, I've looked up the post and it, it basically said uh, how the Batman's Riddler perpetuates harmful stereotypes about autism by Angela Grieger. Um, as the CEO of Autism Speaks, I spent my life uh, fighting against the destigmatization of autism or fighting for the destigmatization of autism. Paul Dano's Riddler reinforces harmful stereotypes about men living on the spectrum. And I just could not believe the subtlety and in jokes layered upon layer of this uh, post, which is basically showing all the, the chair of uh, Autism Speaks, not just um, uh, being cat-handed, but inventing new harmful stereotypes as they try and defend the so the, like this autistic community they so-called uh, are sort of prepared to support. Um, I mean, I, I, perhaps we don't need to go into much detail, but let's say we're all a little bit suspicious or extremely suspicious of Autism Speaks. Um, and it was just so nice to like send off this uh, opening statement, this this provocation uh, that really challenged us and the podcast, um, you know, in what way are we inventing new tropes, stereotypes, ones that could have problematic connotations for the future of the representation of autism by, you know, saying... Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love is autistic or, or any of the other sort of diagnostic projections that we've invent, we've uh, proposed during our series. Um, and it was just, I, I loved it. It was a sunny day. I went to the park, put on the podcast, sat on a bench and just listened to you guys hash it out in my absence. It was such a pleasure. <laughs> That's good. But also you, you must've taken some pleasure in, in, in forcing us to go and see the three hour Batman film. <laughs> It was a wonderful episode. That, I mean, it's interesting, sort of, David, you talking about the Cars episode when it's yeah. a film that you just can't um, really conceive of as being related to yeah. to autism. And it was really helpful to have that statement um, because that was the point, I suppose. And I know that Janet said earlier about sort of uh, your your your, your uh, ability to just sort of step back and go, is this actually autistic? Why are we framing it as autistic? Which I think mm. that perhaps <laughs> the rest of us all sort of see it as a challenge to make everything autistic. I don't know. Um, whereas sometimes it's actually okay to just admit that it's not. Um, and the Batman was certainly one that really pushed us to to think about it in those ways. And uh, yeah, I think you're right that it led to a really, really rich and fascinating discussion. And of course, um, John James was on that episode and said some really, really wonderful things um, during that discussion. Building on the community element, I think something that has sort of really emerged for me is how um, those sort of challenges have pushed us 
which pushed me as a scholar, I think, and uh, forgive me for, for making this all about myself ever so briefly, but it's been a way, I think, for me to refine my understanding, to challenge perhaps certain fallacies I've had about um, the easiness, I think, of making everything autistic as well, which I think is something that's that's come up a, num- a number of times. Uh, but also, I think, on a more pressing note, coming up with what could be described as an autistic aesthetic if there is such a thing. And that's a subject that's come up a lot uh, in our conversations in various forms. And it's certainly, I think, become more and more present as we've moved through the episodes when we've looked at people like Goddard and Anderson, um, to name two very specific examples uh, that I've also been a part of. And that's been an interesting thing that I've sort of been working on with my thesis as well, is the idea of, uh, is there a way of reading in terms of autism? Uh, is there one? Is there many? Uh, and if so, what does it look like? And how does empathy sort of play a part in that? So in many respects, I think ATC, one of the nice things about ATC is this it's been a way from, for us to challenge each other, to A, introduce new things to each other, but to be challenged in that process. But in a sort of a an environment where it's not about sort of brutal put-downs, it's more sort of a genuine intellectual and academic interest. And one of the culminations of this for me was when I presented at the um, conference earlier this year on a subject that's now basically become... Uh, the start of the almost the central part of the final chapter of my thesis so because i got so much sort of warm response from people and people seem to connect with it so much and enjoy it so much that i felt yeah this really works so in that respects um i i feel as i've said i feel personally enriched by the project in terms of the people i've met the connections i've made but academically as well i mean i i heard david and ethan present at the um, BAFTS conference, uh, I think 2001 maybe, and uh, it was a long time ago, but but you two got together a sort of survey of the episodes that we'd done so far with these connections between themes that have emerged over and over again. I mean, it was it was really useful and uh, interesting, but I, I can't remember any of the themes you detected. <laughs> And it's a long time ago to challenge you to do it now on the to, spot. So. To, to, be honest, to be honest, I can't remember either. I think somewhere there's a recording, a recording lost to the mist of time. Another shame that, uh, that that we're not able to necessarily bring up throughout the episodes is is David's trauma of finishing his PhD and then not really mentioning much of his work in the, <laughs> in the podcast. I mean, I've been relying on it heavily recently and, and David did formulate his own theory of um, did, autistic yeah. aesthetics for cinema uh which include like these three sort of groupings um uh, and if you don't mind me dave i'm going to say go them now it. yeah yeah go for it <laughs> so uh david basically argued in his th- in his thesis that there was three categories uh stimulation and emphasis on the transcendent sensory experiences and pleasures over narrative development um, betweenity, the illumination of alterity and, and uh, transience in characters and spectator, spectatorial experiences and monotropism, um, uh, the presentation of structure, pattern and routine as a form of pleasure, both in cinematic content and the grammar of film. I mean, I think we should have been talking about this on episode one, David, and uh, <laughs> I think yeah. it's a great shame 
that you refused to talk about your thesis because it was so well, hard. <laughs> I'm not sure if I refused, but I, I, I maybe sort of filtered it in occasionally. But um, as anyone in, who knows who's, uh, who's written a PhD thesis, that once you've got to the end of it, you sort of just want it out of your head for as long as possible. I think that that was part of it. But I mean, it's still those kind of categories still inform um, what, um, yeah, I kind of uh, how I've been sort of thinking and looking at cinema. And we, I'm going to have our, we also have recently released our Blade Runner episode, and my um, uh, thesis was mostly focused on Blade Runner, and a lot of the um, development of that uh, of those ideas came from thinking in a neurodivergent way about Blade Runner. And I think this, this the discussions I've been having on this podcast have very very much helped to develop that way of thinking. I mean, Lillian, you mentioned earlier, you mentioned uh, Wes Anderson. And and it it because uh, we did our episode on Moonrise Kingdom, and one of the things that I found sort of um illuminating for me is to is the ways in which some of my opinions on on film uh on the art of film, I suppose, have 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 developed and changed through these conversations. So I've never been a particularly big fan of Wes Anderson. I've always found his films a bit too bit too quirky and a bit too sort of um I don't know, I just never really got on board with that kind of that kind of aesthetic and that kind of presentation and performance. But since our discussion on Moonrise Kingdom, it's made me really, really rethink what actually is going on in those films and how those how that aesthetic is is formed and how that and what that means to different categories of different people in 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 relation to neurodiversity um such that i was i was with some friends last night and one of them had, had recently gone to see um the new anderson film uh, asteroid city and um had said to me he said oh you won't like it because you don't like wes anderson and i had to be kind of like well i don't know i think i i think my maybe my opinion has changed because i've had this discussion now and we've had these these good couple of years of discussions about how we interpret films so I am going to go and see the film. I'm going to go and see it this afternoon, and I'll see what uh, see what I make of it. But it's um, I don't know. It's just interesting that, that I feel like that one of the things this podcast has done is made me really rethink. Um, you kind of, I, I guess it makes me really rethink kind of the critical reflection on film, whether you like or don't like a film, which is still valid. But there is something to be said for trying to think about films from a, a different perspective. And and that's what kind of what this film, this podcast has done. As somebody who I don't declare myself as being neurodivergent, I, I think of myself as neurotypical. But this, my PhD project, and this podcast have really made me think about how do films get interpreted by different people, people who are different to me. And I think that's quite a useful position to be able to take in some ways. Building on that, two things. Firstly. Uh... Dear listener, if you've not read uh, um, David's thesis, you should. It's exceptional. It's really, really interesting. And it also provides a, a number of... It provides a very important part of my thesis as well. But I wanted to talk more about something you mentioned there about being challenged by different people. Um, obviously, your episode that you chose was Cars with Ash. And I think that's something I wanted to very briefly mention as well, was the the luck we've had in having a number of really interesting guests appear on the podcast in multiple different forms. Um, the one which always gets me, uh, the one I think that, on reflection, I think most satisfied me was the episode Lillian and I did on The Secret Garden uh, with uh, one of our lovely listeners, 
who also then showed us one of uh, her films. Mm, Sophia. Sophia O'Rourke. Sophia O'Rourke, thank you. That was a fantastic episode to do. It was a film I'd never seen, um, and so I had no knowledge of it at all. And it was a really thoughtful discussion, not just about the meaning behind the film and how, for Sophia, how much The Secret Garden resonated with her, but I suppose it moved into a sort of a wider discussion about sort of autistic creativity and sort of breaking away from sort of the norms of filmmaking which she had experienced and found really frustrating and how she developed this uh, method and style of her own which she found really useful. And so we had this wonderful discussion about uh, her film, about Secret Garden, about Alice Guy Blachet's Falling Leaves. And it was this, yeah, it was a really stimulating and engaging conversation. Uh, and that was one I had a real pleasure to uh, record. That probably, uh, that's in my top three, I would say, of episodes I've done. Yeah, I totally echo that about the, um, the the wonderful special guests we've had. I mean, I think in particular of, as well of, of Sam Ahern on the ET episode, of uh, Sophie Brogate on the Tomboy episode, and um, and we've had Dr. Gemma Williams a couple of times as well, who was also really wonderful, and and everyone else who I'm currently forgetting, but that everyone was, uh, yeah, we've always we've had wonderful special guests. Um, sorry, Georgia, I, you haven't said very much. I thought I'd try and bring you back into this. Um, but I mean, uh, one of the other things that sprung to mind as well was when we had our conference, um, we we screened uh, Mulholland Drive as one of the films. Uh, it's part of the Autism Three Cinema conference, uh, not conference, the um, screening series at the, at the Barbican. And you did that wonderful introduction to the film. And I remember at the time there was a Guardian article about covering the um, the screening series. And, and one of the, it was a very positive article, but one of the questions they said was like, what does Mulholland Drive have to do with autism? And it was that kind of like, oh, why are we thinking about this film? And I think one of the really valuable things about this podcast is that we haven't just focused on autism films. We've 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 got this whole there's a whole catalogue of new canon, I suppose, of films that we can think about in an autistic way. And I think you bringing along a razor head in one of our early episodes was one of the one of the um, moments for me where I was like, oh yes, we are. We're not just going to do Rain Man, etc. Here, we're going to do films that have some kind of autistic importance that perhaps people have never thought about in terms of autism before. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have any? If you have any thoughts on that or anything else? Um, yeah, I, I think one of the, when I recommend this podcast to other people, um, a lot of questions I get asked are regarding like, how does it work? How is it? Is it a good thing to? try and talk about every single film from the point of view of autism is that helpful does it apply to everything could it be problematic to try and sort of force that label onto a film that has nothing to do with it and I just think I, that's not really what we're doing and I think we've we've covered this a lot already but um, it's the idea like David said of being able to look at something in a different way and from a different perspective you know I, I'm with David I've never particularly resonated with um, Wes Anderson films. They've never really quite stuck with me or resonated with me. But, you know, talking to Lillian about how uh, how they resonate with her, it you know, all our experiences of um, our own uh, neurodivergence is different. You know, we don't have the same, you know, diagnostic criteria. We don't have 
that same experience of life. So it's always going to be quite different. Um, and when I brought on uh, a Razorhead and I brought on a Razorhead in one of David Lynch's short films, which is um, a film that's greatly impacted me personally and in, in my filmmaking. Um, because I, when I came to the films of David Lynch when I was a bit younger, it was this sort of visceral reaction of I see my experience, my sensory experience of the world reflected visually and through sound and through performance sometimes as well. And that Lynch is able to somehow inexplicably draw together these elements to form an, a, a, an experience that is unique, but is something that I never really see reflected. Um this portrayal of anxiety often in, in his films like Mulholland Drive and Eraserhead especially. Um, it's something that fascinates me because it's not really pleasant to watch or experience, but it, there's this catharsis um, in seeing it represented. And it's also um, significant that I think on that episode, um, if, I mean, I've, I've, when I've brought films to the podcast before, it happened with Orlando as well. Alex, Alex's first comment was like, I don't know how autistic this is. Um, and I'm like, yeah, that's that's interesting because, you know, it doesn't necessarily, that's not the dominant reading of the film. That's not what the film is about. But um, Orlando, for me, as Jenna has like mentioned, I brought that film on because it's another film that resonates with me on a sensory level um, and on, a, on a, just a general way that I process the world. Um, I think it's important to accommodate for that, you know, individual perspectives of people. Even um, when uh, Sophie Broadgate brought Tomboy to the podcast, Tomboy is a film that I've seen before and I've loved, but I, you know, never even had thought of it in terms of autism and listening to her talk about it um, sort of made me think really differently about the film and the sort of wealth of perspectives it could it can bring once you sort of think outside of your own um, experience in your own framework of thinking. So yeah, I think the, one of the most valuable things I think I've gotten from this podcast is that ability to to see beyond that because when I joined this project, that was very much the goal is to sort of introduce these different perspectives and sort of challenge the way that cinema is read. But um, it's challenged me as well. Um, and I think that's a really good thing. And it's something that I, I take into watching films now and, and talking to other people about films. Right. Yeah. I'm just thinking about the the, the challenges of the, that you're mentioning there, Georgia. Um, and I'm thinking about Lillian's point about language and developing our own grammar and, and modes of expression. And um, I wonder if we might talk a little bit about the kind of awkwardness of that. Has Has there been an awkwardness at all on the podcast? Have we been... Have we found it difficult to express certain things? Have there been things that um, we're not talking about or we're talking about in ways that, 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 that we might express differently now to how we might have expressed in the past? Um, I'm not sure. It just seems a, a, a question that might be worth asking. Or, or is, it, is it that we're thinking about the podcast as a kind of an intervention in a part of a discussion about what language we can use to describe neurodiversity, to, to describe its intersection with, with race, with queerness and so forth. Um, is, is that how we also want to, to think about it? I mean, it seems, it seems to me that the podcast has been about exploring rather in, in a culture in which opinion has, has been 
dominant, um, particularly sort of shorthand opinion online um, that we find often is unhelpful in helping us think about things. So I'm just wondering if if anyone's got any thoughts about about how we've we've approached things that might have been difficult in this time. I mean, I I found it quite difficult reading, like being tasked in my PhD to read a lot of the literature on the neurodiversity paradigm, and then taking in all of these. Uh, sort of linguistic rules around person first language versus identity first language and just generally like it, it I, I even got myself into trouble at the beginning of my research presenting at a conference and accidentally referring to ASD uh, as opposed to ASC you know the disorder being the um the othering sort of language of autistic difference um and I just hadn't thought about it enough by that point and but then we we're all on, we're all on a different journey. Um, you know, Lillian mentioned that uh, much of her work on this topic started around the time of joining the podcast, or and other guests that have come on. They've all on a different pace on this journey of learning and oh, this sort of emancipatory literature being exposed to it gradually. And I think we've tapped into one of the biggest. I think that taps into one of the biggest problems within the neurodiversity movement which is, you know, a lot of it is driven by places like Twitter and where you have to sort of uh, curtly express an opinion and it's very easy to pile on and sort of police language, tell people off for um, saying the wrong phrasing or, and, you know, lots of the discussions I've had in the filmmaking processes, I've discovered that, uh, yes, there are people with very, very strong positions on this, but the majority only really care about the sentiments of, people trying to show interest in autistic perspectives and uh, support the movement more broadly. And I've really mellowed personally and, and whether or not I, I get annoyed if someone describes an individual as diverse, neurodiverse, or, or whether or not, um, you know, you sort of use both autistic person or person with autism. I mean, I, at, at first it felt a lot like a dog whistle. And later I realized it was more of a, sort of fumble or or whatever I mean it doesn't I don't think it's the sort of clear indicator of allegiance that it felt like when I first uh, started working in this area Um, so yeah I mean I think it's good to be a bit more mellow about these things forgiving and not expect everybody to have read the same books as you but at the same time there's a reason these ideas have been generated it is really important not to position autism outside of the self as this sort of invading force that's taken over the true human. I mean, that's just all those language choices, those preferences put forward in the neurodiversity paradigm and movement are, are important. It's just, I, I don't want to tell anyone off, even though I do sometimes do that. <laughs> I shouldn't though. Sorry to jump in again, but building on that, one of the, actually one of the interesting things is, um, Listening back to my podcast, I realized how hesitant I am. There's a lot of me guarding my comments and sort of like trying to put as much distance between me and the point as possible to give myself as much room if someone doesn't like it. And this is for the cat people episode. And the big thing I think I listen back to it is I just sound like a prat and I wish I'd been a little bit more comfortable. I, I, I think it's something I've developed is a little bit more comfortable in the skin. And to be honest, um, yeah, I, I think sometimes the challenges are always a little tricky to for me to pass when they're sort of being recorded. 
But at the same time, it's also really useful because it at least allows me to clarify my thoughts and at least like get to some point where I can say what I want to. And I'd like to think that in the last few podcasts, I've been a lot more clear about my expression. Certainly, I've noticed this on other podcasts I've done, uh, that I've been a much more clear and direct individual. But uh, whether that happens here is a different matter. But yeah, I think that's been something which has been really interesting. And I do also echo a lot of what Alex is saying as well about sentiment being a very important part of it and support, but not necessarily aggressive adherence because there's issues with that but that's my point that's my position i I do think i'll come to you in a second million but like i do think it's also the sum there is real value in the fact that we're not always really slick and that we're not always like really perfect um i think some podcasts i listen to people you know it always does end up feeling a little bit artificial if, if everyone is really on it perfect all the time and they've edited it to death and so on and so forth i think there's something there's a value and richness in hearing us um and are our way through our thoughts and 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 struggle a little bit with what we're trying to think because that is part of the experience of having a mind and I think that neuro the neurodiversity paradigm shows us that and I think that's something that's there about that being quite a useful thing so I've I've stopped worrying so much about maybe not making fully making sense or think not trying to you know got quite getting my full point across because it's a kind of natural process of how a mind works i suppose in a very profound way of saying it anyway sorry lillian uh, go for it that's that's good and i think that comes back to what i said about unmasking i mean i think i think i think that i don't think that masking is something that is specific to neurodivergent people i think it's sort of something that we all have um in these discussions is very very useful um i just wanted to say on on alex's point about um sort of um diagnostics and and um well, the kind of language that we use, and, and I think I talked a bit about this, but Emily, about where I was when I when I did that episode, was that I didn't really understand what my own diagnosis was at, the, at, at that point. I said it, I had such a strange and challenged um, diagnostic process over a very long period of time, and I, I, I sort of panicked almost when I started talking about it. That it was almost something I wasn't allowed to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. It always felt like that, um, and this really allowed me. To, to do that and I was kind of I thought well what if you ask me for sort of to see some papers to identify myself that <laughs> would sort of qualify me to you know to have to, to have to present my my identification uh, of of diagnostics um which you know uh is something that I was still actually going through um at that time and uh, really it's the extraordinary amount of time that these things take that it probably um took me what uh, close to twenty years to get a, for, a formal sort of uh, piece of paper that's that you know very clearly states that I I um, I am autistic and I I have um, ASC um, for fear of using ASD it might actually say ASD mm-hmm. um, but you know it's it, I think that what I've learned in that process and doing this podcast is how much that doesn't really matter and that um, it's it's about how I sort of see these things in myself and the perspective that I have and 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 in terms of the films that we're choosing as well is that it's how we are viewing them um and there's almost it's almost been a sort of tongue-in-cheekness to um that title of autism through cinema and the way that we've played with it that I I really appreciate and value and the scope that we've sort of developed around that that we are not a podcast which, um, as people might like to think that autistic people would do, 
to put everything in this sort of very neat categorization, have have a process and something um, that's very set in stone that, you know, we're going to take a film that is about autism and we're going to talk about it and that's it. It has become so much more fluid. Um, and I, I think that that's, that's very exciting and has a huge range of possibilities that uh, I've no doubt we will all continue to um, develop and discuss in the future. Yeah, if I can just add to what you're saying there, Liliana, that the I think for me, it this podcast has also sort of opened up what cinema can be through autism. It's, it's kind of led me back to some of the early cinema, some of that potential that was there. You pick up on it in the essay on in the episode on City Lights. Actually, there's some some sense of cinema cinematic history always holding this potential that that neurodiversity has of, of, of this way of apprehending the world, of sensing the world, of you know, seeing the world differently through through the lens of a camera and then projected at this huge scale, it kind of defamiliarizes, jumps us out of the kind of, you know, the learned ways of seeing and thinking and feeling. So the, you know, each episode has that capacity, I think, to to do that for for, for us and for listeners. Which is really nice. I think probably that like the last thing I wa- I wanted to say is how important this has been for me in terms of documenting an experience of, of of lockdown as well. That this this started because of lockdown because we couldn't do workshop, we couldn't continue to do workshops on the project. And I was thinking, you know, but but I want to keep exploring this. I want to keep talking to people about it. Um, but it's become something far more than I ever imagined. Something so much more rich, and the kind of sense of community that we that we've built, and it has been a really wonderful space to to develop so many rich ideas that don't ever come to feel like they're closing down definitions of an autistic sensibility of, in, in cinema. So yeah, I guess you know, wanting to thank everyone here for that, and and. To say for me, it will be something I will keep as a as a kind of document of this very strange time that we're and now appear to be on the other side of. So thank everyone. I want to thank everyone also for their kind of um, their company during this time. Yeah, I would I would say exactly the same thing. It's it's been it's been a really wonderful experience, and um, uh, it, for me, it came at a time when I just sort of was rounding off my PhD and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with myself. And um, this has been a, a really constant and regular uh, pleasure to to be able to continue those thoughts that were swirling around for for those few years I was doing that work. Um, right. Well, we 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 have come to a kind of we've, with the time there, I think. So we'll, we'll bring that to a conclusion and bring that to an end. I mean, as we noted, as I said at the beginning, and as Lillian mentioned earlier as well that yes, we do want to be able to continue this podcast in some way and we are thinking and talking about how we are going to do that. So hopefully that will will happen. So dear listener, please do re- remain subscribed to, to this podcast because there may well be some new episodes in the future. But for now, this is a kind of end point because the uh, wider project is coming to an end as well. And I will also say a big thank you to to all of you guys here, to uh, Ethan, Lillian, Georgia, uh, Alex, Janet and everyone who's been involved in the in the podcast. A, a special uh, mention also to John James, who was one of our regulars for for many uh, episodes as well. Um, a big thank you to him and all of the special guests we've had down the down the this past few years. Um, so that's it for now. Yeah, uh, we we won't be back in a couple of weeks' time as we normally are, but maybe we'll be back again in, in the future. Um, but thank you very much for listening and uh, goodbye. You have been listening to the Autism Through Cinema podcast. 
brought to you by the Autism Through Cinema Project from Queen Mary, University of London. Our thanks to 344 Audio for editing this episode. Our theme song is Waterfall by Meter, used under a Creative Commons attribution from Null Teal Records. Many thanks for tuning in. Thank you.